This is our second um, lesson in our series of culture, and specifically apostolic culture. There uh, has been um, a cultural shift in the world, perhaps more specifically in the Christian church at large. And that particular shift has been taking place for a few years, but it's more apparent now than ever before. Um, There's been a lot of changes that have taken place over the last three years that we never thought would occur. And I'm not talking about societal change, but I'm talking about the churches and what's happening in churches today. I'll add this to, our, to your conversation and you can do your own exploration. Um, there are many churches that close their doors each week. They're, for, for a lack of better words, they're going out of business. Um, buildings are now mostly empty. In large metropolitan areas, there are a lot of closing of churches. Um, there's a there's a spike increase in um, pastors that are having uh, emotional breakdowns, heart attacks, ulcers, and various other emotional disease, uh, diseases, physical problems from an emotional duress. This is spiking around the United States, and so more men uh, are leaving the pulpit. They're they're leaving the and once again. The profession. This is not my profession. This is my calling. But just for the sake of your understanding, they're leaving the profession. And these shifts have, 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 have been caused because there is a, a breakage in biblical concepts and understanding. There's a, there's a division of the Bible where some want to hold on to biblical understanding while others are, are wanting to uh, attain to what would what would be the outcome of a focus group? Everybody still with me? I can't really see your eyes, so I don't know if you have a glazed over look or not. I'm not exactly sure, but just blink a couple times and say, you know, if you breathe heavy, I'll know you're alive. So this shift has been taking place and we're in the middle of it right now and it will intensify as the, as the years go by. I'll, I'll read to you just the first paragraph of the handout. The disposition of any Christian church. Now, this is a, this is a church that, that, that espouses, maybe the church espouses uh, some definitive thought of the resurrection of Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus as the center. So I'm not, I'm not trying to be specific here, but a Christian church the disposition begins with the Bible. And now I, I'm assuming that, but of course, uh, there's a number of church organizations that don't adhere to the scripture. They don't, they, don't, um, they don't believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God. So therefore, we declare our sole alliance uh, to be connected to the scripture. And so we rely upon the word in order to clarify every cultural change. 
All right, everybody still with me now? Okay, let me, let me help you with that. I'll unpack it a little bit. We don't adopt any American westernized, any, anything that might come across government education, post-secondary education, with no philosophy, unless it is filtered first through the scripture. And, and, and if, it, if it can't make it through the scripture, we reject it. That, that doesn't mean, that means terms, ideas, concepts, philosophies, roles, positions, all of that. And, and, and we're not special because we're doing that. That is exactly what the Bible espoused us to do. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And here's the next verse. Here's the next line. And they searched the scriptures to see whether those things were so. They said, amen. They said, yes. And then they made sure that whatever the preacher was saying was correct through the scripture. Of course, they had to validate through that, through the Old Testament scripture. Because the New Testament wasn't written. So they had to make sure that whoever was speaking, they would receive it. Who were more noble than those in Thessalonica? The Bereans were more noble. And so this is what we must do. Otherwise, the culture will shift. No church is without a culture. It just depends on what it is. So I'll, I'll be a little basic here, but, we'll, but we have to establish this because there's such a violent turn and you may not feel it um, in, in, in where you're sitting, but there's a violent turn away from scriptural precedent and, and the infallibility of the word of God. It's a, it's a violent shift. It's like we've hyperboled 50 years in advance in a matter of 18 months. And that is exactly what the Bible predicted would happen. It's a prophetic word. At the end time, gross darkness will explode. It, 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 in fact, the saints will eventually say, Lord, come quickly. In fact, the Bible says, except the days were shortened. That there, there is a pressing on every mind and every person and children and young people and marriages and homes and uh, everyone who, who will live. We are, we are perhaps moments away. If you could see how close we were and we are to the coming of the Lord, you might live a little differently. But because we cannot see it, we think it'll always be this way. It will not always be this way. We will not always have this privilege. We will not always have the ability to walk into this house and to, to absorb the word of God. This is why I always commend us to worship the Lord and take advantage of every moment that we have. Because detractors come from a cultural shift. And that also means that we must both establish the apostolic culture here in this church and we must maintain it. Mm -hmm. apostolic identity is part of our apostolic culture. Amen. Come on now, help me a little bit, saints. I gotta, I'm not insecure, but sometimes I'm hard of hearing. Somebody say amen. 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 That's part of the culture of the, of the apostolic church. There's a rapport. 
You hear something good and, and you report. That's right. Amen. So be it. We'll receive that. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I'm provoking you. Hopefully not to wrath. The origin of the apostolic faith. This is on your, your handout. And so after the day of Pentecost had concluded, there's a summary that, that really, it, it, there's no description of time. Acts 2.42. This is almost a, a, it's an ongoing description. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. So this is where we, we derive the term um, the apostolic doctrine or the apostles' doctrine. This is where we get the apostles' doctrine. We get it from this particular verse because the apostles' doctrine was, with all clarity, the apostles' doctrine was the doctrine of Jesus Christ. So when you consider the apostles' doctrine, really, you're just, you're just saying that they were echoing, repeating what the Lord Jesus Christ had instilled into them. They, uh, they were living under the doctrine that the Lord had given the apostles. Um, Acts 1 and 4, he showed himself alive to his, his impossibles by many infallible proofs, being seen to them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That particular verse was the, was the clump. It was, the, it was so much, we, we don't even know. They didn't write it down. Luke did not pin that when he wrote the book of Acts. So uh, the apostles' doctrine is where we derive the apostolic faith or, the, or, or that I would say that I'm, that I'm apostolic. Well, how, what is that? That comes from the doctrine that was handed from Jesus to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, there are several elements and tenets of this faith, and so I'm just going to review them with you quickly. The gospel is one of the elements. It's, it's perhaps one of the first elements. I, I, would, I would say that it's not directly the first, but it's, it's one of the main tenets of the apostles' doctrine. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. These are, these are the descriptions of what the gospel entails. So what different... Uh, uh, what 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 it um, differentiates you from other churches? Well, you, we all believe in Jesus Christ. What is the difference? Well, one of the main differences is that we believe that repentance is a necessity and it's a command. You can accept the Lord as your personal Savior. You didn't repent. There, you 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 can accept Him, but unless you repent, Jesus said, "You all die. You're all going to perish." So all those who purport, well, I'll just accept the Lord. I'm glad you've accepted him, but you must repent of your sins. It's a command. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted. Because repentance, the, after repentance is conversion. Repent ye therefore and be converted. That your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. It's critical that we, that we institute uh, in, our, in the core of our, of our culture... The gospel. <laughs> Not community. Oh, no. Not fellowship. The gospel comes first. I'm glad that you all know where to go to eat after church. But if the gospel is not preached, who cares where you go? It doesn't matter how many friends you have or what connections you have. It's the gospel that's premier. 
If the gospel is not there, then the church is just a community culture. It's, it's a social club. Amen. I'm not willing to have a social club. Now, I'd like to have fellowship, and I'd like to have friends, and I'd like to have a family, but first and foremost, it's the gospel. If there was no church to go to that preaches the truth, but all of them had fellowship, it would be better for you to start something yourself to have the truth than to submit yourself to false doctrine. Not everybody believes that. Amen. I know you do. Thank you, Mother. Number two is the experience of Pentecost. The experience of Pentecost is, 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 um, is what causes us to be Pentecostal. I, I, I'm, I breathe heavy sighs of, of, of grief when I, when I hear former or current, whatever, Pentecostals say we, would, we should not jump or run or leap in the church because it scares the visitors. But listen, we're scary all by ourselves. <laughs> and some of you are even more frightening than your neighbor. But if you submit that for the sake of the guest, we're not going to do this, then what you've just done is nullified the apostolic culture. Well, prove that in the Bible. Thank, I'm so glad you asked me. Acts chapter 3. Because Acts chapter 3 is the, it's the advent of the beginnings of the apostles. Acts 2 is over. We have the summary. They're continuing. What's the next thing we see them do? Peter and John going to the temple to pray. When they get there, they're passing by the lame man. And they looked at the lame man. And the lame man looked at them. They said, look on us. He expected them to get some money. It's like the guys who are standing at the corner of the street thinking, hey, man, you rolled your window down. I need a buck. They said, go try this. Silver and gold have we none. But such as we have Give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He took him by the hand and lifted him up. What's the next line? The Bible says that he went leaping and dancing and running into the temple. I'll tell you who likes to dance and leap and shout. Those are the people who have been healed of everything in their life. They've been healed. You asked me about the man. They asked him. Jesus said, this, the, the, the person who's been forgiven little, he don't show much emotion. But the person who's been forgiven everything, they just fall down and just lay out and just say, I. See, Pentecostalism originally, scripturally, and I'm not talking about 1950. When I talk about old-fashioned, I'm not talking about old-fashioned 1950, 1920. I'm talking about original. The original apostolic church had a Pentecostal experience. Amen. They were shouting and dancing long before America found its birth. Amen. In fact, I'll just tell you a little bit of the culture I, I, that I've read of. That, that in the late, in late 1800s, early 1900s, the Pentecostals were much more exuberant than the modern day Pentecostal. 100 years ago, we were, we were considered very radical because of our Pentecostal worship style. But some of us got refined. And we got educated. Mm. You know I say this facetiously, right? You're not smarter, 
more intelligent or more refined. <laughs> just because you didn't wrink. Should I have just preached this on Sunday? Just because you didn't wrinkle your shirt. I like nice clothes, but I'll sweat them and throw them away. If they wear out, it don't matter to me. I'll wear some. Listen, I don't wear my clothes because you like them. I just wear it because I like it. But, but, I, but none of my clothes, I don't care about dancing, running, shouting. I don't care about sweating in them. It don't matter. I, I, I'm here to worship the Lord. That is the Pentecostal experience. You got to keep that. Listen, if we don't exercise it, we lose our culture. The culture is not quietness. The culture is not deadness. And I've told these jokes before, but I love them. <laughs> The culture is not the frozen chosen. Bump on a pickle. All right. They're old and old-fashioned. I'll, I'll try to find some new ones. Number three is the doctrine of the incarnate God. Now, of course, I would typically start there because the incarnate God, Emmanuel, God is one of us. The God who wrapped himself in flesh, but for his great sacrifice, all of us would be lost. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justifying the spirit. Preaching to the Gentiles. Believed on in the world, received up into glory. God was. <laughs> when you see me, Philip, you've seen the Father. So, this is part of the apostolic church. I can't, we can't apologize because we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and that This is a tenet of our faith. And then finally, within these four tenets of the apostolic faith, and this is really borne out from both biblical narratives, but, but really what's happened in the hundred-year period of time. It's really a little bit longer than that, but the hundred-year period of time. It was total and complete focus on the kingdom because the kingdom mattered most of all. And this is derived from the scripture. There's multiple different references to it, but I... What I do love is that, is that when Peter went down to Samaria to preach, he preached the things concerning the kingdom. And that, and that grips me because the early church was all about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The kingdom. There are a few modern fallacies, and I, I had so many listed, I just didn't want to put them all down on, on the, in your page, but I, I offered just two. And the fallacies is something that we would, uh, we would tend to not only wholly reject, but we would be aggressive in our rejection of, fallacy, of these fallacies. And one of them is that the scripture is subject to the church or the believer. This is not true. And what we've found in the last maybe even 20 years or so, 25 years, is, is the, the, the exaggeration misinterpretation, misappropriation of the scripture. And the reason why the Bible is now being misappropriated is because there is a, there is a concept or a culture that's being established and then those leaders are going outside of the church to the scripture and then trying to find scripture that will agree with what they've already decided. Now, where did this start? It starts really with individuals. And, 
And it starts with, well, I don't really see it that way. I don't really agree with that. And so what you're, what you're doing is, instead of submitting to the scripture and what Jesus has said and what the apostles has written, have written, what you're doing is living a lifestyle and trying to find scriptures that will, that will agree with what you already think. It should be the other way around. You should never adjust the word to your life. You should always adjust your life to the word. And adjusting your life to the word. Before you give me the next amen, let me just tell you. To adjust your life and your thinking to the word of God is not an easy task. It cuts me. It, it, it gets down inside of my heart. It convicts me. When I read in the word sometimes, I, I sometimes stop and say, oh no, I'm doing that wrong. Oh no, I'm thinking wrong. Uh oh, I made a big mistake. <laughs> I can't remember one nephew or niece but first day in kindergarten got in trouble because they didn't get in line and I, and I think they said well, how am I supposed to know this I've never been in kindergarten before I feel that way sometimes you know I, I wish somebody would have told me <laughs> you know you probably did dad and I wasn't listening I apologize Another fallacy is that worship styles, and I'm going to talk about this in length, have to meet the need of the participant. Now, what happens with this is that we, we have worship styles, and, and whatever the style is, what's happening is that, that we're changing the worship style to accommodate whoever comes in, and and. I think what we've tried to do in the last many years is to have a wide range of, of styles of songs. And, and we've done that pretty well. Maybe not as much as, 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 as we should, but, but by and large, we're singing the songs unto the Lord. And we're hope, hopefully people will, will join in the song, even if it's not your favorite song or style. <laughs> because there's, a, there's, a, there's this mass movement I don't know if you feel this or not. And if you don't, it's okay. That people are looking for a particular style of church to go to that has a very specific music style. And now, now we just saw our second or third cowboy church. And, and the church said cowboy church. And I, you, I, I don't know. You, if you're a yuppie, you cannot go. I know that there's been motorcycle churches, but the cowboy church is new. I do have a pair of boots, so I don't know if I would wear it correctly. I, I did wear a pair of boots one day with my suit, and Tammy said, don't, don't do that, that doesn't look right. You wear them with blue jeans, and so I said, well, I'll just, I'll wait. Uh, someone bought me a pair of nice boots. I, I have nice boots. Reagan took them, I think, I don't know. So what's happening is that well, I want to go to church that plays that particular style of music and that kind of thing, and I'm not going to go anywhere else. And so what's happening is that churches are trying to adjust to meet the, the, the whims of the people instead of worshiping the Lord. Instead of worshiping the Lord. I don't like every song that we sing. It's not, but every song that we sing is not for me. There's a couple verses of some of the song. I'm like, I don't, I don't know about that one. We'll just move on. I sing them, clap, okay. 
If you don't like the one song, maybe we'll get the second one. If you don't like the second, we'll get the third. If you don't like the third song, sometimes the offering doesn't have words. I don't know. But what concerns me is that everyone wants to be appeased by their worship. And um, Tozer, uh, A.W. Tozer said, he wrote this in 19, this was 1962, I believe, or 1948, and, and he talked about how that worshipers now come to church, they are more concerned with their own edification than edifying Jesus Christ. And so, what's happened, well, I want something that appeases me, that appealed to me. Um, and so, we're losing the connection with God and with worship. What if we had no music? We're privileged to have music. What if we had no music? What if there was no musicians and no singers? And, and what if the singers were, were, couldn't sing? What, what if they were bad singers? Have you ever been to a place where people got up and sang and they thought they were really on tune, but they, were, they had a lot of different keys and some of the keys were not even a real key? You know, there, there is not a key called H or I. But some folks have sang in those keys. It ends at G. You can't. You don't go further. There aren't twenty six keys to singing. Mm-hmm. So what's happening here is that people are now gravitating towards a specific style of worship style, when it should be about the Lord. That's a great fallacy. Something that's happening now all the time. Amen. I'm into this culture because there's so much to learn and we're working on our our apostolic identity and culture. I'm in your handout. Building an apostolic culture has a few demands. um, And we must recognize a few things in that culture. Um, And one of the things is the inclusion of Multiple different ethnicities. I hope you have paid attention to what's happened in the last five years here. Um, we've had many different young people, college students from ISU attend New Life. And they'll come again in the fall. And some of them are from Kenya. Some of them are from Congo. The largest group is from Congo. They have a, a different style even of addressing people. When, when my kids from Congo address me and I go to shake their hand, they shake my hand but their other hand will, will immediately grab their arm and they'll lean forward because that's their measure of respect and honor. Um. I know immediately where they were from because that's part of their culture. And we, we will have multiple different ethnicities. I want to point out something that you taught me, Mother Morris, years ago when you came. I don't know, 16, 17 years ago, 18. I, I'm okay. It's been a long time. And so I'll tell the story they were really praying and came to the church, the North Campus. No one was there. It was in the afternoon. And Brother Morris came in and 
the moment he walked into the sanctuary, he just went right to the altar and began to speak in tongues. And, and I want you to know, you have a cohort in crime sitting behind you. So you can, if you want to, get the hats back out because you can wear, no, someone will help you. But at the time that you came, not very many people wore hats. In fact, no one would wear a hat to church. None of the ladies. I would prefer the ladies wear a hat instead of the men, but it's just another cultural thing. But, but, but some nice hats. Not, I'm not talking about ball caps. Um, but because they didn't, you decided not to wear it to honor the people that were there at the time. Because at that juncture, I don't know, maybe we, we didn't have any African-American folks. But as people come in, they'll have different styles. Some will wear hats. <laughs> and it's my desire that the, this new life culture will inco- accommodate everyone in their particular style. You, you may not wear a hat. You, you, may, you may do something a little different. If it's modest, then it's permissible. <laughs> if it's immodest, then get with the culture. It's pretty, you know, pretty clear. But it, 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 there's, there's things we have to understand that as we grow, there'll be other cultures walk in and they'll have different styles. And I think it's time for us to make the shift and accommodate and include cultures that walk in this building if they believe in the apostolic doctrine, the incarnate God and, and, and modesty, we, we make no pressing, we make no pressing of them, even in worship style. I, I don't know if you've been, I have been to, uh, to a couple of Spanish conferences, Brother and Sister Bonilla are here, and when, this, when, when they start to worship at the front, they'll make a long line, I've seen this happen, and they'll, and the, and they'll, they'll dance back and forth, and hold hands, or, or grip. and we don't always do that, I'm, I, I wish you would just start one of those, Sister Bonilla, come Sunday, it's, it's almost like a country dance line, except you just go back in front, it's an awesome thing, they're worshiping the Lord, and I would just say, let that be its worship unto God. What, we, we, you have to understand that there are many people who are walking into this house and we're going to worship the Lord and we're going to give God praise. And we have to include them and understand that's good. If you go to other countries or other places and the countries in the world is coming to America, you have to understand there are many people that are going to worship the Lord in many ways. In sincerity and in spirit and in truth. Amen. Some things are just style. Secondly, the apostolic culture demands recognition of grace and acceptance for new believers and established saints. Give people grace. You don't know what they're experiencing. We give grace to people. That's part of the apostolic, that's what the apostles did. They Paul was preaching this. He was struggling with some of, the, some of the Jewish leaders. They were not Pharisees, but they were Jewish leaders. He was struggling because he was trying to include the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, they did not have the heritage of Abraham. They did not have the heritage of, of the prophets. And so all they had was the, was the 
preaching of Peter and Paul and the apostles. And Paul made declaratives, that is enough. And then Paul taught them how to live and how to conduct themselves as he was teaching all of the Jews how to do the same thing. But if you went to the house of, of the Gentile, chances are you were not eating kosher food. And you did not, you, 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 you would be sitting at a table or at a place where there was meat and milk, cheese on a hamburger. Because the Jews don't put cheese on the hamburger. All right. Did you know that? No? All right. Praise God. You're a Gentile. And if you so choose to eat catfish, you can do that. But, the, but you might think this is silly. Why would they argue over that? That was major cultural difference, differences. But Paul was trying to combine and put together the Jews, watch it, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles. And that was an arduous task because not everyone wants to join their culture together. It's a cultural thing. Let it be. It's unto the Lord. Let it be. Everyone doesn't have to sing your song. And everyone doesn't have to wear your hat. And everyone else doesn't have to wear your, your suit. And if we didn't, if we're not playing, if the, if the crew is not playing your style of music, put in a request. Don't talk to me. I'll give you their number. Tell them. Our, our, our dear uh, Mary Elkins, uh, who is now resting with the Lord, uh, did so many things around this church. She, she worked and filling in the gaps, filling in the roles, everything that she did, all the little things that she did added up to amazing. It, it's where the, the, the staff is struggling to try to figure out how to get someone to do that and do that. And she did so many things and all wonderful things. Of, 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 but however, some of the things that she did, did do that I, I tried to guide her with, she was always making requests that I would sing David Phelps songs. And if you don't know who David Phelps is, he sings in another octave that's very rarely found on the piano. It's every time I would sing one of his songs, I'd have a small brain aneurysm. And, and she said, I'm, I'm telling you, Pastor, I want you to sing this song and you got to sing. And she would give me the songs. And, and every once in a while we would do that to accommodate her uh, just so she could have a little bit better attitude. It didn't work all the time. And finally, I said, now stop it because it's hurting my head, these, these David Phelps songs. And then she said, well, well, how can I get you to sing more David Phelps songs? And I said, well, you obviously, you have to give 20% in tithing. That's what you have to do. So. <laughs> it's stylistic stuff. And, and the culture of, the, of this house is going to be a conglomerate of many people that are walking in. Love everybody. Care for them accommodate them know that you have a place and you've got to come in whatever spectrum they're on in their walk with God pray that the Lord would give you love for one another amen the 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 last thing is humility and if if you will look carefully Paul was always speaking about humility he would say submit yourselves one to another it's easier sometimes to submit to an authority 
it's hard sometimes to submit to one to another. Humility in approach and in conversation. Being humble in approach and in conversation. Of course, part of that approach is our manners. It's called manners. Hello, how are you? These things are, they, they, they should be in the church. Yes, sir. Thank you, please. How about some manners? I, I, can't, I can't bring myself to chew out kids or, or to get on our young people if our adults are not using manners with one another. They're only mimicking everything that people say. I always, I always say, please, please don't get embarrassed about what your kids do in public for the very things you allow them to do at home in private. The, the culture, the, the, the building the apostolic culture, um, it entails, it's not limited to these things, but, but I'll, I'll offer this again to you. It's the infilling of the Holy Ghost. The, of the, the, the apostolics believe in speaking in other tongues. That's what we do. I'm never going to keep you from speaking in tongues unless I feel like we need to move on in the church, if this church service. If you, if you start speaking in tongues loudly and you feel like this is the moment, that you want to give tongues and interpretation. The Bible says that the spirit is subject to the prophet. You may feel it. And if I don't, I'll say, we're, we're going to move on. Don't get your feelings hurt. It may not be for that moment. It may be for the next service. I'm not trying to squash the gift or, or stamp out the gift that God's given you. But that may be, not be the time that I feel like we need to, need to hear uh, your utterance. This is biblical. <laughs> If you feel like now is the time to lay hands on someone, um, as long as it's in order and I feel like we have the time to do that, then, then, then we'll allow that to be done. But I don't think you should have a private prayer meeting and leave the sanctuary while I'm preaching to go pray for someone in the prayer room. You've missed the word of God. I've seen this happen and I'm, and I'm going to just stand here and say, no more of that. Because the culture here is that we are going to pray and then we're going to hear the word of the Lord. And it could be that the word of the Lord will speak to the very thing that the people need to hear while you're trying to struggle, trying to figure out how to pray for them in a prayer room and they're not hearing the word of God. Let the word of God go forth. And if God so wills, he will speak through me things that I didn't say or didn't, I, that I didn't think to say. And the Lord can conduct the church. You're not greater than God. God is in control of the church. He's in control of our lives. Amen. And some things need to be in an orderly fashion. Now, just so you know, every leader, preacher, and I have my hand raised first, can miss it. I could move on when we should have stopped. I could stop and pause when we should have moved on. Because I am fallible. Oh, thank God. Now, I hope someone will argue with me. But since there wasn't a clamoring, apparently all of you agree, but you didn't want to say, I know you make mistakes, Pastor. And the next line is, I know everybody makes mistakes. Okay. This does not mean that everything that's done is exactly how it should be done, but we're doing our best to follow the leading of the Lord. And we do it in sincerity and in truth. But just so you know, if something's missed, don't don't say it will never come back again because God can fill in all the blanks and all the empty places. And let me just tell you, when I pray for people in hospitals and when I pray for them for their needs, I always, I, maybe not always, but I'm usually saying, Lord, 
If there's something I didn't say, please fill in the blanks. Let the Holy Ghost intercede for us because I'm not exactly sure what to say here, but Lord, you know what to say. And I'm preaching the word of the Lord and I say, Lord, I don't know all the words that I'm supposed to say. I'm trying to deliver the word that you gave to me. But whatever I'm missing, Lord, you are the great God. Speak to the hearts of the people. Put in their ears what they need to hear. So I've got to trust that in the, in the power of the Holy Ghost, the Lord is directing the church. And I cannot rely upon myself. And it may be right. And it may be a little off. But I'm praying that God would make it right. Amen. All right. This is the evidence of the Holy Ghost. Here's the second part of that element. It's exclusivity. I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. But I'm just going to say, if you believe in more than one Lord, you're not scriptural. And there aren't, there may be a couple thousand different faiths listed in the archives of the United States. But the Bible says there's only one faith. And you might think it doesn't matter how people are baptized, but the Bible believes there's only one baptism. And you might say, well, it doesn't matter what you say when you're baptized. That's not what the Bible says. The Bi- Everyone who was ever baptized in the scripture was only baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's only one. That's called exclusivity. Are you rejecting someone else? I'm not rejecting anyone. I'm just staying true to the word. Because you see, we don't accommodate the whims or ideas of people. We, we are solely reliant upon the scripture. It doesn't mean that we're ugly or hateful or, or, or no, it, it means that we rely upon the scripture. Here's the Bible. I will love you, help you, give it to you. Now you're, you have to decide whether or not you will receive it or reject it. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be at the church or you shouldn't love the Lord or, or we don't, I don't love you. It just means that here's the Bible. Now it's your job to receive it or reject it. Amen. That's our culture. Someone had asked me years ago, why are you allowing them to come to church? What do you mean? Allowing them to come to church? Unless, unless they've caused division, and I have marked them, which has only happened a handful of times, unless, unless they are dividers and wolves, I will let them come. And even when they are, they fulfill those definitions. There's this little part of me holding out hope that maybe they'll repent. <laughs> Amen. But I just, you just got to know, this is an exclusive Bible. In fact, if you just believe that Jesus is Lord, you, are, you, have, you have alienated yourself from 2.8 billion people in the world, known people in the world. Because the Muslims do not believe that Jesus is Lord. They believe he's a healer. And the Buddhists do not believe that Jesus is Lord. So you're already very exclusive. All right. Letter C. It's demonstration. And everyone say demonstration. You see, the demonstration is that there are going to be signs following those that believe. Even, even the apostle, great apostle said, I didn't come to you 
with words of man's wisdom. But I came to you in the demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost. You know what's going to set our church apart is when we're all in power, worshiping, asking God, and there's a demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost. That's when the blinded eyes are open and people walking and cancer is healed and lives are restored. We need to have the demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost. You know how that comes about? Through prayer. Through prayer. Through devotion. Through fasting. The disciples are, are confused and they, they, they've had such great success, but they get to one thing and there's a spirit that's infested and infected itself in, inside of someone and they get to that, to that person and they cannot cast the spirit out and they walk away confused. We prayed, we spoke in your name and we still don't have deliverance and they go back to Jesus and they're just bewildered. What happened? What went wrong? And Jesus said, this kind, because there are some kinds of demonic forces that can resist your prayer. I don't don't know how this is. All I know is that Jesus said, this kind, whatever kind that was, cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. Amen. So you want to know apostolic culture? We're going to pray and we're going to fast. And every year we're going to pray and we're going to fast. And every month we ought to be praying and we ought to be fasting something. And every day we ought to be praying. Every day we ought to be seeking God. You want to have an apostolic church? Don't sit back and say, well, I wish we were more apostolic. Be apostolic. I I said it last week. I'll say this again. And I say it. Yeah, I hope you're understanding what I'm saying because Christianity is this big term. Everybody's a Christian. I will say it's a lot easier to today, or maybe I should say it this way, it's a lot more difficult to be a disciple than to be a Christian. Many people are Christians, but very few are disciples. Because Christianity has got this big umbrella and say, well, we all believe in Jesus. Well, what are you doing? Well, we just believe. What, how are you living? Be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's going to, that means you're in the word of God. Okay. So, at, and, and demonstration means that there has to be action. It, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I hope you feel the spirit in, in which I deliver this. I'm, I'm not, I hope I'm not condescending, but I did, my problem is I grew up in a church from, from a baby on. Where there was worshiping and shouting and clapping and dancing and speaking in tongues and people laying hands on one another and people rolling on the floor and running up and down the aisles and praying over offerings and the Holy Ghost falling and two and a half hour church services and no one was upset, no one wanted to leave. It was just full of fire. It was the fire of the apostolic faith. It was the fire of the Holy Ghost. And I grew up in the middle of the fire-filled church. And far be it from me to pastor a church less than that. And that's why sometimes I just leave the pulpit and walk around or dance around or march around or run around. Because I know that if there's going to be a stirring, someone's got to move. And someone's got to do something that changes the atmosphere of the church. If you're waiting for someone else to do it, stop waiting and be that person. Now, I just talked to you about, about 
different cultures in their dance style, no matter what style they have worshiping the Lord, let them do it without criticism. It doesn't, doesn't really matter what it is. If it's, if it's pure and unto the Lord, worship and dance and shout and magnify God. And when we're singing the songs, sing. When I turn around, I want, I want to see people singing. All right, that's a little bold of me. If, if you don't like the sound of your voice, mouth the words. Sing. This is what we've come to do. Sing unto the Lord. We've come to sing unto the Lord. The culture of new life the, has got to be the culture of the apostolic church. They sang songs and hymns and spiritual songs. They left, they left the Passover dinner and went. And the Bible says they sang songs. We've got to sing. This is how we began. If you weren't here 24 years ago, almost 24 years ago, I led the choir and Tammy did the Sunday school and we sang. And if the sermon wasn't good, the singing was good. And if the singing was bad, that wasn't my fault. (laughs) Somebody else had the microphone. We're going to sing. And we're just going to keep singing and worshiping God. And we're going to worship together. And we're not going to get professional. And we're not going to get all starchy. And we're not going to say, well, that's not my personality. Your personality and your disposition, hear me, ought to be worshiping the Lord most high. No matter where you've come from, it's your voice. Your voice, not mine. Your hands, not mine. Your hands, not mine. All of us magnifying God. That is the Pentecostalism. That's the apostolic culture. Somebody walks in here and amens me real loud and people are a little bit afraid. Well, they wouldn't stand out if everybody did. Maybe you're waiting for me to get to the good part. This is the good part. When (laughs) When I stand up and say, praise the Lord, everybody, that's the good part. What are you waiting on? You're waiting on, well, I just want to hear where you're going. Well, just if I get to one place and it's good, just pause a little little bit and just start praising God. That's the good part. Lord. In fact, if you find something good during the sermon, get with it because it might go downhill from there. It might get worse. You ought to be rejoicing. I've been in those services and heard the preacher. Man, I, I knew what was coming. And the moment he got going on something good, I was shouting with him because I knew this may be it. It might, get, it might get rough after this, so take advantage of the moment. That's the apostolic culture. Let me tell you what it is. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost felt Peter was not done preaching. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 46, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them, and they received the back. He did not finish his sermon. Why? Because the apostolic culture is, we're going to receive it when you give it. Yes. Demonstration of the Holy Ghost is what we're after. Not some liturgy, not a format, not tradition. We are what we want a demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost. We haven't decided on a church sign. I just want you to know we took the big letters down. They don't look right on the front of the building. We have not decided. 
Sister Tammy and, and, and her group is looking into what we're going to do about a church sign, New Life Fellowship. We don't, we don't have it yet. We thought we did. We, we decided to wait a second. We don't know. But let me just tell you, we don't have enough money to promote the church like one person that's delivered and healed. The biggest billboard we could ever, we could ever build is the salvation of someone or the healing of someone or the deliverance of someone. You give me one person that walks out of a wheelchair or a cancerous tumor falls on the floor. That's the greatest sign you'll ever have in this whole community. If miracles, signs, and wonders are present in this church, that means we have an apostolic culture. And the apostolic that cannot happen unless there's prayer and devotion and fasting. Well, I want to have a powerful church. Well, what have you done to contribute to the moving of the Holy Spirit? Our friend Clifton Lejeune has used the example, and I've used it many times. I, I can't keep up with his brain. But he says, if you have a can of corn and you want the corn to move, you have to shake the container that it's in. <laughs> I'd really like the spirit to move. Are you filled with the spirit? Yes. Well, maybe you need to move. And something inside of you will move. Because if you are placid and you are still... I'm going to get Clifton back here. Brother Lejeune, got, he's got to come preach that one more time. Because somebody's got to move in the Holy Ghost. You want the Holy Don't sit back and say, I wish we had a move of God today. It was kind of dry, kind of cold. Well, where were you? Get up and move and praise God. And do, you are the child of the Most High God. You're the one. Were, were you waiting? Were you waiting on, on the musicians? Were you waiting on them? Let's not wait on them. Let's encourage them. Let's say thank you for leading me into the holy of holies and into the presence of God. I'm here to magnify you, Lord, and lift up your holy name. Amen. Now I say this. Now I say this with recognition of the human body because I know that there are people that would do a lot more if they had the strength and their knees and their hips worked and their back wasn't out of line. I understand that. Let me just tell you, I understand that. And I can remember Sister Mooney sitting on the second row and she would worship the Lord. And when she was very exuberant, she would wave her hands back and forth. And the reason why she did not do more than that is because she had several different car accidents and her back was very, she was in a lot of pain a lot of times. But when you saw her doing that, that was akin to some of you just running and dancing and leaping over all kinds because she was, so I say this in recognition to all of the needs. And I know that not everyone has the strength to do what I'm telling you to do or encouraging you to do, but I will tell you while you have the strength, let there be a demonstration of worship in the house. Don't wait until you can't do it and then wish you could. And, and I'm, I have to go quickly now, and I don't even have time to cover all of this, but we just did last month of separation. Separation and lifestyle. Holiness, of course. Of course, holiness. And of course, sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. If you're, if you're reading the Bible, it looks like Barnabas gave the first large sacrificial offering. And you'll find that in the book of Acts. Barnabas brings the first large sacrificial offering. It's, a, it's beyond your tithing. If you tithe and you think 
that that's all you need to do. Tithing is only the ground floor of what you ought to be giving. It's, that's just, that's your basic. Tithing is just a reasonable. That's just returning to God what rightfully belongs to him. Sacrificial giving is way beyond that. In fact, if you, if you want to follow the Jewish culture and anything that the Jews did, you, you know that they would give 20% more in offerings, 30% more in offerings. Instituted just in their own, own culture, just, just in the days of Herod, there was a temple tax. And the temple tax was a, was a, was a, it was a 5% taxation that they, 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 they all assumed. So it wasn't like the taxation of, of our government. It was just something that they said we were going to do for the sake of the temple. And they all did it together. So it wasn't contrived. It was just something that they wanted to do. This was part and parcel. If you look through the scripture, there was, there was, a, there was an offering at the start of the year. There was an offering in the middle of the year. There was other offerings. There was other sacrificial offerings all through. They, always, they, they thought of money and crops and, and, and gifts and lambs. And they thought of it as, as the means for them to have a living. And then the rest would go towards the Lord. In fact, when, when, when Moses was building the, the tabernacle, so much came in, he had to tell them to stop. Too much. We, 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 don't, we can't use all of that gold and linen and fine fabric. We, we can't use it. It's amazing how far that the Christian church has gone. The Gallup poll that I read two years ago said that at 1.7%, that's how much people give to their local church, 1.7% of their income. We've drifted so far away from true obedience. New Life Fellowship. I think I'm, I think I'm on the, next, your, the back of your page. The culture, we hope, I should have put hoped, we're trying to make sure that we're in the scripture, but it's contingent on the disposition of the majority of members. Now, why do I say that? I say that because here, heretofore, I have never seen a church in complete unity. That might grip you a little bit, but I've never seen it. I've seen us close. I've seen other churches close. But the early church had, on the day of Pentecost, they were all with one accord, all with one accord. And unity takes a lot of respect and honor and peace. And unity takes a lot of selflessness and accommodation. The unity of the body, it, it takes agreeable spirits. You may not agree with everyone, but you have to have an agreeable spirit. You may not relate to everyone, but you have to have long-suffering and kindness to everyone. We, we got to have that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just telling you that if the majority of the members of this house, the majority of us, if we will espouse to these things that I'm teaching and we then get to set the culture, there's always going to be a little fight. But it's okay. It's just a tug of war. It's not a big deal. We're, we're, we're okay. There's going to be people that walk into this house and they're not going to get it. It's all right. We're going to love them. But we got to keep the apostolic culture alive and maintain it. And that means... That we have to be gracious to one another. Grace. You've received it. Give it to other people. I'm asking you, have a little grace during, this, during the time when we transition from this building to the next building. There's a lot of moving parts. We've never done this before. 
When we built this building, we left everything on the, on the north campus and we moved right into this building. And we didn't, we didn't have any, people just walked over and boom, here it was, walked in. But not this time. This time, we, we, we go from one sanctuary to another sanctuary. We're going to have an, we're going to have one of those, one of those moments where there's an outdoor service. Uh, it's going to be in the parking lot. I'm going to call it a tent revival. We got to get us a tent. I'm not talking about your pop-up tent, but that would be okay too. And it's going to be, we'll tell you about it. It's going to be in October, the first part of October, because we're in transition, because we don't have enough money just to buy all new equipment. We're going to have to move some of this over to the new sanctuary. So you're going to have to have a little grace, have a little, have a little mercy, realize that things are changing and, and we're trying to get from here to there. And there's a lot of things that have to happen. It's a lot of moving parts. And we'll work together on that. That's a good time to say. All right. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to, if the greater has mercy on one another, have mercy. Let, let, let me just go down this list for you because this is, this is important for me to relay it to you. Honor and respect. We're built upon the doctrine, the apostles doctrine, the foundation, Jesus Christ himself. But at new life, we want to have honor and respect for one another. Honor one another. Honor the brethren. Give double honor. Make sure that we have respect for one another. Husbands, honor your wives. The Bible says it as the weaker vessel. Give respect to one another. To the elders, people. Make sure that we do that. That's part of the culture we're trying to build. Another part of this new life culture is that we have a new start, a new beginning. Our motto is where, where no one has a past and everyone has a future. And some people have to, have to get away from their past that happened last Friday. <laughs> some people have to start over almost every Sunday. Praise God. Get back in the church and start over. Get up again. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times. You might, you might have doubled that. Get up. Worship, love God, start fresh. Make up your mind. You're not going to fall back into that mess. But this is the culture. Everyone gets to start over. People need to start over. People mess up. People commit sin. People get caught in snares. People say the thing that they shouldn't say. But that's the operation of the church. This is new life. You get to start over. All right. I'll just keep on that for a while. Number three, a cohesive body where everyone is valued. You have value. It's important. You know that. And there's a place of ministry and work and love for you. Amen. And it's not always, sometimes it's a little bit taxing, trying to make sure everyone has some place, but just give, give us grace. We want to find out what you want to do. And if, if you can't figure out what to do, then start with things that you may not even really want to do. Amen. I won't go on to that, but we're working on it. New Life is a generational model church where all ages, all ages are empowered, offered opportunities to participate. You've seen that firsthand with the children's service and with the youth service. 
That's the generational model. That doesn't just happen. They don't just get up here and do that. That's, that's years of work. You see these young men now, young ladies, now, now in their late teens and early, uh, early 20s. We've been working on the generational. We've been raising them up. Everyone has great value. Um, I'm, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little, have some sorrow in me. Uh, when I, when I, I was looking at some pictures and saw Elder Heiss, I have a little sorrow because uh, we lost him. Uh, he's resting with the Lord. And he helped so much in the church. At 94 years old, the Lord took him. And I, but I want to say to our elders, you, you add so much stability to the house. So much stability. And you're so valuable just to be here present. There's been this cultural shift, and the cultural shift happened long before the pandemic. It was, we, we saw the spike. There was, there was a lot of surveys being done, and, and we saw the spike of, of how that the online church was growing and, and church attendance was falling. And this was happening in really, in earnest, it was happening really in about 2014, 15. The online church was really growing, and the and church attendance was starting to fall off. At 2001, when the towers fell and people died, 3,000 plus souls, there was, a, there was a movement back to the churches. But 10 years later, uh, there was an exit from the churches. And then, and then the, the introduction of a lot of online churches. It, it wasn't just TV evangelists. It was computers. It was your, your cell phone. It was, a, it was an iPad or a tablet. People could watch their favorite sermon or their favorite church without attending. And then came the pandemic and, and no one really knew what to do. And there was a lot of things that the people were trying to work through. And, and so the online church just exploded even more. So we were already watching this. And now I've talked to many, many pastors who've said they've lost more than 25% of their congregation and they've never got them back. People just never came back. And, and then there's another group that says, I'm still part of the church. I just don't come. I watch online. And we have an online stream for our shut-ins and people who can't come and those who are, those who are participating while they're on vacation. While we were on vacation, we watched church. Uh, we watched both services. We were so excited. The Spirit of the Lord moved in the car. and We were so happy to, to be able to participate in the sermon and the worship. And, and it was so great. I was so thankful uh, for it. But there's nothing like being in the house. And, and, and if, if we're going to have a church, people have to come. They, they've got to come. I commend you. I thank you for being here at Bible study. And, and hopefully the Bible studies are worthwhile. Uh, some people are like, well, maybe I'll go somewhere else to a Bible study. And maybe there's something on Tuesday night. I would prefer that the church come on Wednesday. And if you want to add something to it, don't sacrifice your Wednesday. If you want to add a, a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, twice, that's fine. But I would prefer you not miss Wednesday because there's something about all of us coming together on Wednesday and, and having a Bible study. And maybe not every Bible study has great worth. Maybe it's, maybe it's not as deep as you want it or not the subject, but, but there's something about supporting the church, the culture of the church. We can't even be alive if no one comes. We, we, maybe we can have a thousand, ten thousand people watching. And I'm glad if you're watching, I'm glad, praise God. But there's something about being in the church, being in the house. I, I relish that. I hope I'm not being old-fashioned here. I, I hope I'm just being, I hope this is right. I, but I just feel like we got to get together. We got to be together. 
and people work jobs and, and, and their jobs don't allow it. And, and, and sometimes they're schooling. I get it. It's okay. I don't want anyone to feel condemned about that. I just want you to know there's something about the people coming together. Some folks drive hour and a half to get here and, and sometimes things happen and they cannot get here and they're watching online. I'm grateful for every time you can come. I'm thankful. Thank you for making New Life your church because a church alive is worth the drive. I just, I'm happy when we get to church and if, if by all any means you can get here on Sunday, you gotta come in the house and if it's tough time finding a seat, that's okay. We're going to rectify that in, in, in four months. But for right now, you just cram in somewhere and, and just put your purse on the floor and just kind of huddle in whatever you can do. We're, we got to get into the house of God. It's good for us to be together. How good and pleasant it is for us to be together. Daily disciplines are important. And daily disciplines are what this church is about. I'm thankful for the high. I'm thankful for the, for the rejoicing and the triumph But the only way we are stable is if we have daily disciplines of the word of God, reading the word of God at our table, in our living room every morning, reading the word of God and faithful attendance to the the church and faithfulness. And then finally, I end with this. It's a, it's a mission mindset. This church is a mission church because it's not all about us. We're going to give to missionaries and accommodate them. And I'm happy to report that our next mission service, our all-nation service, we already have 23 missionary couples. 23 uh, countries are being represented uh, this fall at our mission service. It's going to be the largest mission service we've ever had. And we're going to give to our missionaries. And God is going to bless the church because we're faithful in our giving. We want to have a mission. We've been mission-minded for our local area, and we've been mission-minded for the, for the state of Indiana, and we're, we're branching as far out as we can to all parts of the world. And all the people said amen. Culture. That's the culture. Amen. I love you, and I'm so grateful. Amen. Now, Sunday is Father's Day. And I'm glad it's Father's Day. We're going to honor all the men. However, we're going to come in worshiping God. We're not going to be, it can't be such a theme that we don't do what we're supposed to do. We are an apostolic church on Father's Day, on Mother's Day, on Memorial Day, on Christmas Day, on all the days. Whatever day it is, it's an apostolic church. Everything else is secondary. Amen. Praise God. Please stand with me. In Jesus' name, we love you. Let the seed be planted and not stolen. Let it come to fruition and bring forth fruit. I thank you, Lord. And I thank you for your word and for the time. In Jesus' name. All the people said amen.